Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... Social enterprise is one of those pathways, right? I think it's an attractive one because people like the idea of making money alongside doing good, but it's not the only one. And so I think really trying to be clear with oneself around what are the reasons and why is this the right model for, for me and my journey or for the organization I'm trying to found. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thank you for listening to episode 257 of Impact Boom. My name is Thomas Long, and I am passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social change. Today, we're speaking with Nick Martin. Nick is an educator, technologist, and social entrepreneur with 15 years of experience in international development and social innovation. In 2010, he founded TechChange, a Washington DC-based company that builds beautiful online courses for individuals and institutions who want to make a positive difference in the world. They are now one of the largest providers of online education for nonprofit and social sectors, helping hundreds of organizations deliver training on everything from malaria to human trafficking, to climate change, and more. Nick also loves to teach and has taught over 60 graduate-level courses at Columbia, Georgetown, and George Washington University in the last 10 years on topics related to technology, humanitarian work, and social good. He currently serves on the board of PopTech, a global network committed to the vanguard of emerging technology, science, exploration, and creative expression, founded by John Scully and Bob McCaff. He was a PopTech fellow in 2013 and is deeply committed to helping the organization grow. Nick, thank you for joining us here today. Nick, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here. Tom, I'm so thrilled to be here as well and excited to be on the show today. That's awesome news. Just to start things off today, can you please just share a bit about your background and what led to your work in social enterprise? Uh, I sure can. So, um, you know, my, my dad really wanted me to be a CIA spy. That was his aspiration for me. I had different career goals uh, for myself. I started out as a modern poetry major in undergrad at Swarthmore College, then ended up doing a master's degree in education for peace and human rights. But I tell you, Thomas, those are hard degrees to enter the market with. So for me, starting my own enterprise was really a function of applying for many, many jobs in the international development and humanitarian sector and not getting any traction. So this was around 2006, 2007, 2008. I was working or living in Washington, D.C., trying to find work. I was able to connect with a number of like-minded folks who at the time were just very excited about the potential that technology could have for addressing problems in the world related to humanitarian crisis or public health or climate change or so forth. So we were at a time when 30% of the world, call it, had access to the internet and something around 90% of people in the world had access to mobile devices. But we started to see these amazing examples of tech being used for good. Then, of course, some of you 
that are listening may remember the Arab Spring in 2010. Suddenly, we were using social media to, to track human rights abuses, uh, digital maps to, to respond to disasters, mobile devices being used to track public health uh, outcomes. So our team, our little team of volunteer uh, nerds, as it were, we thought, hey, what if there's a way to actually provide online education to people to actually professionally develop them to, uh, to grow and, and to expand their skills in this sector? And that's really how Tech Change was born. Uh, this idea kind of on a hunch that there was a market not being served and that we could reach a lot of professionals and, and adult learners with uh, course content in innovative ways that would help them uh, build their own skills to advance in their careers and help solve some of the world's most challenging problems. That was a fantastic answer. It's actually really interesting to hear how TechTune started, how you noticed these trends happening in the world and how you wanted to create a positive social impact. From there. That's fantastic to see, to be honest. Uh, for my next question, as CEO at TechChange, what sort of projects are you involved in and what have you learned from observing the business for good movement and how it has grown in recent years? Yes, yeah, so I did for a brief stint of time also try to run a nonprofit right out of grad school and, and we were helping to essentially promote the University for Peace in Costa Rica, recruit students, launch peace education programs. But I really struggled with a model that required me to go out and fundraise as a nonprofit, write grant proposals, accept money in that format. And I thought, you know, it's better if I could actually provide a service or product for someone and then in turn get paid for that provision. That felt like a better model to me. And so that, that was really the, the founding ethic of Tech Change. 10, 10, 11 years in as a med tech social enterprise, I think that was the right decision. We've since gone through processes like B Corp certification to really understand how our business model aligns with our, our mission and our environmental impact and our organizational structure. And again, I, I really am excited that these types of movements are growing. We were the 600th B Corp. We beat Ben & Jerry's to the punch. They were next after us. But, you know, I, th I think there is tremendous desire, especially coming out of this pandemic. A lot of people and a lot of organizations are re-evaluating their relationship to the world, to the impact that they want to have on their audience, on their communities. And I think a lot of that is, is really pointing towards uh, businesses rethinking how the bottom line relates directly to that impact. And for us, it's sort of second nature. We really started on this path. These two things were hand in hand. But it was hard to, we ended up not raising investment because we couldn't quite figure out how to position ourselves to investors as a, a company that had aspirations to do good uh, and make money. But I think it's becoming more common. Obviously, we can talk more about the impact of the investing world and how that's matured. I just think coming out of this pandemic, there's just going to be a renewed focus on how are companies really behaving, both internally and externally, and, and how do we keep them accountable? And I think social enterprise and things like B Corp are a great instrument in that journey. I absolutely agree. And I think seeing that social movement in companies is really great to see. Uh, seeing how companies are taking charge, how they're taking responsibility and trying to do good while make money, which can sometimes be the hardest aspect of creating positive change. Uh, for our next one, this is a massive question that I really enjoy asking people, uh, just to help all the other people who are in a very similar space. What have you learned in leading tech change social marketing efforts 
And what are the some of the key points social enterprises should consider when marketing their organizations? I don't think we do a really great job as a social sector. And I, I lump social enterprises and nonprofits into that larger category. I don't think we do a great job as a sector, Thomas, in terms of marketing. I think we consider marketing and sales dirty words. And, you know, a wiser person than me once said, you know, great products don't really matter as much as great distribution. And, and really, marketing is distribution. And so, in early days, we really bought in pretty wholesale to this philosophy that we had to figure out how to market our products and our services well. And uh, it's taken many different formats. Early days, we were, we were very active in, on Twitter and building uh, a blog when we didn't have as much of a product and service offering. You know, in, in the last, I'll call it like three to four years, I personally have spent a lot of time on LinkedIn, really trying to understand that community as a channel for promoting all the things we want to do as an organization, our products and services, but also trying to kind of connect and curate a, a broader social enterprise community on LinkedIn. And I've been really pleased with the connections I've made, the conversations we've had, and I think platforms can serve as such incredible channels for community building if they're used correctly. And that is marketing, right? I think we're both trying to kind of push our own products and services, but we're also trying to create a broader community and a legitimacy for these models. Not everybody intuitively accepts that social enterprise should be a thing. And we're still up against that, even in 2021. So I, I do think some of that has to happen in these broader conversations uh, as we use these channels to do some traditional marketing and sales. I do absolutely understand the stigma of marketing. I feel that a lot of people initially think that social enterprise are mitigated by the making money aspect. But being able to do that is able to support the social impact to the next level. So being good at marketing and sharing your message and showing your impact is just so incredibly important. Uh, and for all of our listeners, I definitely recommend jumping on LinkedIn, following Tech Chain, seeing some of their amazing posts and having a look at their websites. I'll post the links above. They're doing some awesome work and they've done an amazing job of sharing their message. Where have you seen clear opportunities arise to help people tackle social and environmental problems? Well, just to pick up where we left off there, Thomas, I do think some of these platforms, especially in the pandemic, when we're not able to convene in person, are providing these communities with mechanisms and collaboration opportunities to tackle some of these really big, big problems. And I, I think, obviously, I'm, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I think Twitter and Facebook and others are exciting. We have a great partnership with a group called Peace and Collaborative Development Network that is another community focused on social change, social change careers. And so, you know, I think when I, when I think about this question, I think a lot of people don't really know where to start when they say, I want to be, I want to start a social enterprise or I want to work for a social enterprise. It can be intimidating if you're coming from the private sector, government, academia. And so I think it's really, what I often say to folks is, first you have to define your why. Why do you want to do this, right? What, what is it about the social and environmental change you want to see in the world that if you look back in 20, 30, 40 years and you don't do this thing, how are you going to feel about your life, right? If there's that burning desire there, once we've established that why, then it's about the models for how do we achieve that why. And social enterprise is one of those pathways, right? I think it's an attractive one because people like the idea of making money alongside doing good, but it's not the only one. And so I think really trying to be clear with oneself around 
what are the reasons and why is this the right model for, for me and my journey or for the organization I'm trying to found with my partner. So again, I think that reflection is good. Um, and Thomas, the last thing I'll say here is we're also seeing a lot of companies like Facebook, Microsoft, LinkedIn, Google, Amazon, as well as some of the smaller ones like Okta, Cloudera, and I'm thinking here primarily tech companies. A lot of these companies are starting tech for good operations inside their larger organizations. Now, they're not traditional CSR, corporate social responsibility units. They are really looking at how they can do things like align more directly with the sustainable development goals articulated by the social sector. Uh, think about how the data that they are producing or collecting can actually be used for, for good, for actually helping solve crises. Uh, one example, Facebook Tech Change are working together on a series of courses on gender and data, particularly gender bias and data. And we've had a series of uh, cohort-based learning opportunities all online for folks in the nonprofit and corporate worlds to be able to come together and to talk about some of these challenging issues and, and also to build some really incredible skills. We did our first course last summer for 500 people and have since done a number of rounds. You can go on right now and sign up. It's all free and actually take these courses. Uh, so, so a great opportunity if you're curious. But I think this is illustrative of how tech companies are trying to provide value beyond their core business products to the social sector. And again, I think some of these new models will really be exciting to track and maybe a great place for you to land as someone listening who cares about the business side of things, but also uh, the impact you want to have in the world. How do you see online learning play a role in the impact in the COVID era and beyond? Thomas, it's a great question. If you look at the early days of the pandemic, a lot of people gave up on online learning, Zoom-based instruction pretty early, right? We had these fairly elaborate op-eds in places like the New York Times from university professors decrying the, the end of online learning and how awful, all, awful the quality of instruction was. And I read those and I said, don't blame the medium for your poor preparation. Don't blame Zoom for your inability to have anticipated this challenge. If you follow me on LinkedIn, you know that I really, as a university professor myself, have become quite disillusioned with the academic industrial complex and the role that it has in our lives. It, it's really quite sad how the tuition rates have, especially in the United States, uh, blossomed so dramatically. But if you look at other countries, I think some of these trends do hold up where we're not really fair to generations of students who are currently enrolled. And the deal, the compact, if we look back historically, was spend this time learning your trade, learning your craft, building your career. On the other end of this journey, there is a great job waiting for you. You can easily pay back your loans and suddenly you're launched and you buy your house. Montrax have really fallen apart. I think the quality of instruction has gone down in traditional because these schools couldn't have figured it out. And I can point to probably several dozen examples of schools that are doing incredible work. But the vast majority were, were not prepared and, and frankly should have been. They had 20 years to figure this out. I think if you look beyond higher ed, there are a number of exciting examples of, of online learning doing exciting things. The elementary or K-12 and the United States, we call it K-12 in other countries, it takes different nomenclatures. But uh, for students, younger students, certainly it's harder to do a lot of the kinetic energy types of learning that involve more active 
uh, community-based work, hard to get kids to, to focus online. But I've seen some awesome examples of, of, of things happening. Certainly in our world, we have really doubled down on using interactive whiteboards, creating game-based simulations, building 3D virtual worlds, using new tools uh, to, to really drive interesting conversations and breakout rooms. There's so much innovation that's happened in the past 10 months. And I think really, and we've, we've accelerated this, this curve about 10 years, Thomas. So you know, I think you're going to see more innovation as things evolve. I think some really great players are going to rise to the top. And I think those that are not are just desperate to get back to normal, but normal's not coming. It's not coming. Newsflash. So I think universities, some of the best brands are always going to be fine, but this whole long tail of universities, particularly global ones that haven't really figured out a business model in this new era, are in serious trouble. Great opportunity for all those social entrepreneurs listening. So my background is actually as a tutor at Queensland University of Technology. And after oh, cool. seeing the changes in the online learning that we've done, the initial integration was very rough and jagged, but now we are also seeing these opportunities for online learning, interactive whiteboards, shared creativity. And I think that's an awesome answer that's going to be relevant to a lot of people. What's one piece of advice you think all social entrepreneurs should know? So I'm going to maybe string a couple of smaller pieces of advice into one and see how far we get. Uh, you know, the first thing I'll say here, Thomas, is having an idea, not enough. Sorry. You really have to think about implementation. And implementation, in my mind, has several different dimensions. One, I don't believe that any great ideas about changing the world can be done in isolation. You really have to think about having a team and having a team that has complementary skill sets. Sure, you can go write a book and be an author and think about theory of change in that context, but if you're trying to build a social enterprise, chances are you're going to have to do this with other humans. Humans are mess humans are by nature difficult, and so trying to align along incentives and skill sets and visions can be tremendously challenging. However, that's the sauce that change happens through. So that's a big piece of this. I would also say along those lines, you just got to keep going, right? And most people just give up when they have a social enterprise and that's it, right? And there are all kinds of reasons to give up and some of them are great reasons. But if you really want to drive this change, having clarity around what your timelines are, what your thresholds are, how much risk can you really take along a spectrum of risk? Because ultimately, you just kind of got to wait for the market and the product market fit to align. And that might take a while. For us, it's taken a long time to get there. We've had many twists and turns in a 10-year journey. But my core team, uh, there's three of us who, on the leadership side, were patient. And, and it wasn't easy. And it wasn't something I necessarily I would recommend for everyone. But certainly to wait for that product market fit was, was worth it in our case. The last thing I'll say kind of along those lines is just keeping that focus, right? It's so easy with social enterprises to try and do a million things because we, we're saying right out of the gate, we care about profit, but we also really care about impact. What the hell does impact mean? I have these 40 different indicators that all tell me that I'm having the social environmental impact I want to have on the world. Well, if those are going well, but I can't make any money, what do I do then, right? So I, I think trying to keep things as simple as possible especially early on in terms of your products and services, that really, it's so hard to do, but having that discipline will make it easier as things evolve. 
So there I crammed like four things in, Thomas, but at least you've got uh, a flavor for, for how I, I thought about this. Oh, don't you worry. I am all for quality content. That was fantastic. What inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across recently which are creating positive social impact? So I can talk about where I'm seeing the field go a bit. And, and again, when I say field, I'm really more focused on tech and social change, tech and social good. That's that's really my wheelhouse. So hopefully that's interesting for your readers. But then I might also highlight a couple projects that I think are, are pretty neat that, that I'm excited about in tech change. But I think we're seeing a lot of conversations, energy focused on data privacy and security. Some of your listeners may have watched The Social Dilemma, which talks about the role of social media in our lives. I think this is going to be an increasingly important conversation as this year and this decade evolve. What is the amount of privacy and security we as users are willing to give up to big tech companies? How do we hold them accountable? Um, Alongside that and tangential to that is artificial intelligence, machine learning, and ethics. What types of data are we feeding these algorithms that ultimately determine how the next chapter of tech is written. Technology really and artificial intelligence really just reflect back to us what we design it for. And so if we are inputting an imperfect, biased, and and unhealthy world, we will then of course see that reflected in our our tech models. So I think these are are big topics that we're gonna wrestle with. For our part at Tech Change, We're basically excited about a lot of the public health work we're doing at the moment. We're building the first ever Digital Health 101 curriculum for uh, ministries of health around the world, particularly ministries of health in low to middle income countries. And it's a very interactive curriculum that includes a a board game that can be analog and digital around how ministries think about digitizing their healthcare provision in in countries. you would think that even the developed or global north countries have this all figured out. They don't, but we have opportunities, I think, to really build some leadership capacity among ministries of health in other countries. And and we need it, right? We are actually living through one of the biggest public health crises uh, of, uh, of, the, of the decade, of the generation. And, and what do we really need? We need strong leaders to be able to figure out where and how technology can make a difference uh, in, in workflows. And for us to be able to build that curriculum to help actually shape that is, is really tremendously exciting. So uh, those are a couple examples of, of the work, uh, the projects we're doing, but also the, the larger trends that we're seeing in the space. Just to finish off, what books or resources would you recommend to our listeners? Great question, Thomas. So I would definitely, again, highlight LinkedIn. And for those that are interested, I have a hashtag, Make It Noon, where I kind of curate a lot of the insights across the social enterprise space, but I also share jobs to great opportunities across the sector, so that might be of interest. In terms of thought leadership, I really love uh, Harvard Business Review and Stanford Social Innovation Review. The latter is really focused on social enterprise more intentionally, and HBR has, of course, just great management insights, trends across the sector that I think are relevant for social enterprises. So I, those are my go-to for, for publications. Uh, authors like Adam Grant, I'm just a big fan of, of, of thinking about sort of organizational uh, psychology, politics, and how that maps onto to management models. So yeah, a handful, but definitely would, would have folks kind of look at LinkedIn, think about LinkedIn, use LinkedIn to, to curate 
those resources because I think it's such an amazing community. Fantastic. I think those are wonderful recommendations. That is awesome advice. And this has been a fantastic interview. Nick, thank you very much for your generous insights and time. This has been an absolute pleasure. All right. Thanks, Thomas. And looking forward to following up with your listeners if you have any questions or our insights. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people, and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page, and Twitter.